Hi friends, how are you today? I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. Today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup. Monday. Thank you. <laughs> if you're new here, hi, welcome. <laughs> my name is Bailey Sarian, and on Mondays I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin, and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would say subscribe if you want. Today's story, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. you know, there's some real messed up people out there in the world and it's a little concerning, right? Like what the fuck's going on? That's today's story in summary. Where do we begin? Well, let's start with Miss Catherine Harrison. Now, Catherine was born in May of 1951 in Perth, Western Australia. Hey, Australia. So right after giving birth to Catherine, her mother got pregnant shortly afterwards, like real quick. And when Catherine was just 10 months old, her mom ended up passing away during childbirth. Not only that, but her baby brother died shortly afterwards. So just tragedy right off the bat, you know? So Catherine was then sent to live in South Africa to live with her father, Harold. Harold, I guess, just like could not take care of her because after a couple of years together, he sent Catherine right back to Perth to stay with her uh, grandparents, her paternal grandparents. Sadly, not much better because I guess her grandmother was just like very strict and not the most loving person towards Catherine. By the age of 10, Catherine's father ends up moving back to Perth and now that he's back, he's like, well, I want full time or I want full custody of Catherine. So he tries to get full custody of her. So poor Catherine, she's just like really bouncing around, doesn't seem to have anything super consistent in her life as a kid, you know? It just seemed rough. So Catherine moves back in, living with her father again. And at this point, this is when she meets a new friend. And his name is David Burney. David and Catherine had a lot in common unfortunately. So let me just like talk about David really quick and then we'll we'll circle back. David was born in February of 1951. He too uh, was born in the suburbs of Perth in Western Australia. But unlike Catherine, he lived with his parents, which sounds like I'm being a, a dick, but I'm not. Like his parents... His parents weren't great, you know? First of all, David was like the eldest of five brothers and sisters. Um, so his home was pretty chaotic, to say the least, you know? David's father was said to work like 24 7, 365. This man had no choice. He had to take care of the family. Okay, he had kids. He had to, he just, he was never home. He was working all the time. And of course, you know, the kids wanted their father around, but he just never was. I mean, that was, yeah, it was a bummer. It made him sad. Also, their father had some kind of genetic disorder, which made his back hunched and like kind of stuck like that. So when he was around, it wasn't like he could like really rough around with the kids. You know, like a dad like, you football, ugh. you know, do any like dead stuff, I don't know. Some reports said that like David's father was actually an alcoholic and then others said that that was untrue. So I'm not really fully sure, but what we do know was that he was not around simply because he was working all the time. I don't see why it couldn't be both, but point is nobody really knows for sure. But that's not the case for David's mother. Now her name's Margaret and Margaret over here, she had quite the reputation for herself. 
Oh, yes, she did. She fancied the liquor. And when she was drunk, I guess she was pretty violent towards the kids. It was said that she was always yelling or scolding them for something, anything really. And if one of the kids disrespected her in any way, even a little bit, she would just beat the crap out of them with the kitchen broom. Also, Margaret, she chain smoked cigarettes in the house, window shut, hated cleaning. So as you can imagine, the house was just like filthy, dirty, dusty, ashes, filth, trash, carpets, dirt, ugh, ugh, you know? And just like the, the yellow walls. It was just not a place that you'd want to raise your kids in, you know? Well, Margaret did. Anyways, the kids, are, you know, they're playing around in the house. So they were, I guess, were pretty dirty and like covered in filth. And people noticed, but like no one said anything. I don't know. Anyways, the neighbors though, they didn't notice Margaret's appearance. Women at church would talk about how Margaret looked dirty. Oh yeah. Like she was just covered in dirt. She was very unkempt and she had bad hygiene. They're all talking amongst each other. And everyone's like, girl, she stinks. Have you smelled her? She stinks. And on top of that, it always seemed like Margaret was just sick with something. She was always complaining. She didn't take care of anyone, anything. She just seemed like a miserable person. In my opinion, I don't know. You know, I don't know. App to redeem for everything you need. All you have to do is shop at your favorite retailers and upload your receipt. Yeah, it's that easy. So go ahead and beat inflation with Ibotta. Download the Ibotta app now and use code MAKEUP to get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app. And again, use code MAKEUP. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store and use code MAKEUP. Now let's get back to today's story. By the time David's mother had her sixth and final baby, um, Margaret, she was just checked out. She was fully checked out. And the kids were just left to really raise themselves and just raise each other. So it was during all of this that two very broken children, David and Catherine, met and became the very best of friends. And honestly, it kind of, it makes perfect sense too, right? Like they can connect and bond over how they're feeling and maybe what they're experiencing at home. Both of them were lonely. Both of them were around the same age when they met. They were like 12 and 13 years old. Both of them said that they were feeling quite ignored by their families. So when they found each other, it was like everything just clicked. Yeah, everything was great. It was like perfect, but we're here. So it's like not, but like they felt like it was perfect. So it didn't take long before David and Catherine, their relationship turned sexual, you know, at David's direction. And by the time they were teenagers, the relationship had solidified into a partnership. Now the two would get into all sorts of trouble in their neighborhood, mostly for things like breaking and entering, stealing, that was mainly it. <laughs> Still bad, but that's what they were really up to. David's parents obviously not paying much attention as to like what's going on, but Catherine's family, they were starting to see like how this friend David was maybe a bad influence on Catherine. Wherever David was headed, it wasn't good. And Catherine's father would ask her like, stop hanging out with him. I don't like him. You need to stop seeing him. But you know how that goes. If you tell a teenager they can no longer see someone, 
What are they gonna do? You're, they're gonna listen? <laughs> Let's kill. And they're like, yeah. They're gonna do the opposite of what you say because that's what teenagers do best, right? So Catherine is like, no, she's gonna keep seeing David. David is all that she has, so I don't blame her, you know? Anywho, at the age of 15, David decided he was done with school and he quit. And he went to work as an apprentice horse jockey. Yeah, super random. But for a guy that signed up to be a jockey, he didn't even seem to like horses. There were other teenagers who worked there as well. And they remember seeing David being like almost aggressive towards the horses. At times, it seemed like he would be over tightening their reins, making it hard for them to breathe, just in general being abusive towards the horses. Many of the people who saw David working with the animals kind of felt like, dude, there's like something dark with this guy. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's just all bad. You know, when you see someone and you're like, I don't wanna be here with you. That was David. People who knew him at the time would say that David um, came off as like a sex addict, even as a teenager, okay? It was said that David was constantly complaining or looking for opportunities to have sexual relations. At one point when he was a teenager, uh, David begged his younger brother to have sex with him when no one else would. His brother said that he's told him no, but later that night, he woke up to find David laying on top of him and had to throw him off. I think it's safe to say he abused him, actually probably raped him. So back with the horses, not fully sure how to transition from that one, but yep. So at the racetrack, after work every day, all the apprentices would get together for dinner at like the nearby home of a super kind lady named Miss Bridges. And uh, she was like in her early 70s. She lived by herself and everyone knew her in the area as like this super just sweet older woman. You know, she was just like, oh. And everyone would go visit her. So cute. They just sound nice. Well, one night David shows up to Miss Bridges' home. He breaks in. He's naked, mind you, wearing nothing but a stocking over his head. His head, not, you know, free balling it. And he just attempts to attack Miss Bridges. It doesn't work. I think uh, her dogs like spooked David away, but word got back to the owner of the racetrack. He found out what happened, confronted David, fired his ass, get out of here, you know? But I bring that up because like, he was constantly getting into trouble like this, always up to something and like trying to rape people and stuff like, bro chill. But eventually he and the rest of his siblings were eventually taken away from their parents because they were being abused. I mean, shit. So all of the kids, they were all separated and put into state housing. Some of the siblings never saw each other again. How awful that would be. Regardless of all this going on, David and Catherine somehow always found their way back to one another. They continued to meet up as often as they could. And when they would meet up, they would repeat a lot of like their petty crimes. That was up until the law caught up with them at 18 years old. Cause before they were doing this, they're under 18. So not saying you get away with it, but you know, it's like not it's not the same. When you're 18, it's like game over, bitch. So David and Catherine were actually caught uh, breaking into a local business and trying to steal, they were like trying to steal the whole safe. So both got arrested and obviously in very big trouble. David ended up going to prison and Catherine was put on probation. But it's obvious that the court was a little bit kinder to Catherine. But David goes to prison 
And since the two are now separated, this was probably like the best thing for Catherine. She was now becoming less dependent on him. And she was starting to see like just life without him, right? She could see a little bit more clearly. This guy's not around getting her involved in crap. So with the help of her parole officer, Catherine was able to start working as a housemaid and she was working for like a super well-respected family in the area. They were the McLaughlin's, McLaughlin, well-respected family. So with this new job, she, Catherine would be cleaning, cleaning the home. She'd be watching the children, just the whole shebang. And she was treated as part of the family. I mean, family time, She's like, what is this? This is new. This is different. You guys sit down together and like talk? What's this? There was a structure to the household. And it was the first time she was experiencing something like that. Good for her. Well, no, because eventually <laughs> I, I keep always like, I like try to see the positive and then I'm like, oh yeah, but we're here right now. So anyways, eventually she and one of the sons, his name was Donald, they fell in love and they had a son together. It was legal, he was of age, you know? It wasn't like he was a child. It's still kind of weird, but whatever, they had a kid. So when Catherine found out she was pregnant, you know, they had to tell the family. So they told the family and it didn't take long, like shortly after the two ended up getting married, they held the ceremony on Catherine's 21st birthday. I'm like, okay, that would suck to have a, your wedding on your birthday. I mean, unless that's how you want it. It's like a BOGO. Birthday and an anniversary, that's kind of easy to remember. Anyway, so yeah. 21st birthday, now she's married and pregnant. Catherine's family said that they noticed like, Catherine seemed so happy. She seemed like the happiest that they had ever seen her. Should they be weighing in though? You know, it's like, where were you most of her life? Poor Catherine. Catherine felt she had found like for the first time, comfort, safety. She has a new life. She has a new family and things seem to be like going out good, but it doesn't last forever because soon tragedy struck Catherine's family. Six months after her first child was born, one day Catherine, she had some friends over, okay? Had some friends over to the house and they were about to, to leave. So Catherine is like walking them out, out the front door to the driveway. She's holding her kid. She says goodbye. They get into the car, right? Close the door, start the engine, get ready to take off to reverse out of the driveway. Catherine put her kid down next to the car. It's like, bye friends, thanks for coming, like drive safe, blah, blah, blah. And I guess when the car starts to move, starts to reverse, rather than going straight down the driveway, like out onto the street, the car, it, it ran over, it ran over the baby. I'm sorry, I, did, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not laughing at that, I'm so sorry, I'm not laughing at that. It was how I set that up. I felt like I was on, I was going strong and then, and then they ran over the baby and the baby was killed. Could you imagine? Catherine was like inches from where her son got hit and died. I couldn't imagine how that would fuck you up, you know? So this obviously really affected Catherine. The family would go on to have six kids, but I mean, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure like I could imagine you probably don't really heal when you lose a child. Catherine isn't doing well. For a while, things seemed to be going like, okay, but Catherine and Donald, her husband, their relationship, it got pretty rocky when Donald ended up hurting his back and he couldn't work because he had hurt his back. So this led to the family kind of getting into some major financial issues and they would end up losing their family home. So 
things are just getting real stressful. So this, again, like this was the first time Catherine had been experiencing like some kind of stability in her life uh, with her husband and her family. And like once they lost the family home and like things got financially rough, um, Catherine kind of like had a hard time accepting the situation. Catherine seemed to be missing her old life. No kids, no responsibilities, just doing whatever the hell she wanted with her old friend, David. So this rough patch, it seemed to be like the perfect combination to drive her right back into David's arms. Mm-hmm. Dude, those toxic guys will always get you right back when things are, get rough. In 1983, Catherine and David, they got back in touch again. Yeah. And they actually started secretly seeing each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And this goes on for like quite some time, about two years. And Catherine's husband, Donald, like doesn't, I don't know if he suspects anything, but in 1985, Donald's, Catherine's still husband, he drops her off at work. Like he did this every day, nothing, nothing different. Just when he came back to pick her up, when her shift was over, she never showed up. She just poof, gone. In fact, years would go by before any of her family, even her children, her husband, anybody would see Catherine again. Like she just up, left, bye. And she went right back to David. Uh -uh, uh -uh. So while Catherine was away, you know, being a wife and mother, David was also playing house as well. So during that same time, like he too had gotten married at the age of 21. He had dated some nice lady for about a month. The two got married and they would have, um, I think they would have just one kid together, but it was a rocky marriage. I guess not knowing each other for a month wasn't long enough, you know? But David and his wife, they, I guess, would fight often. David would go on to have multiple affairs and the two would stay married for about 10 years. And then after 10 years of marriage, David's wife said that one day David just showed up to that home with the 16 year old girl. And he was like, this is my girlfriend. She's gonna live with us. Like just out of nowhere. And the wife is like, oh, hell no. Like I'm getting out of this. And that's when the marriage was officially over. But David brought in the 16 year old girl, the girlfriend, and now she's like this new partner. I don't know. His wife or now soon to be ex-wife took their kid. She upped and left, moved out of the house. And it was literally around the same time that Catherine came waltzing right back in. It seemed like they, they had like some kind of bird call where like if something was going wrong, they just knew and they would like just get right back together. It's like a bat signal. Okay, so Catherine came right back in. But the thing is like David over time, his crimes had gotten just way worse, worse and worse. While Catherine had gone in the, the other direction. So she was now getting herself right back into the whole David's hot mess of a life. Yeah. Now David over here, he wasn't just doing petty crimes anymore. Oh, nay, nay. He had moved on to bigger and better things. And he was already looking for that next thing that would get him that much more excited, you know, the adrenaline, he wanted it. So just a little quick warning, this is where things get pretty dark. There's a lot of, there's a lot of rape and like sexual assault. Just a little heads up disclaimer, okay? Okay. Catherine and David were living together in a house of, you know, a house of their own. It was on Three Morehouse Street in Willoughby, a suburb of uh, Perth. Willoughby, Willoughby, Willoughby. <laughs> 
Catherine even legally changed her name to Catherine Bernie. They didn't get married. They were never married, but you know, they were married in her eyes. Technically, or at least legally, Catherine was still married to Donald, so jokes on her. The two kept to themselves. David was working at a used car lot and sold uh, used car parts. And at work, fellow co-workers would say that David was like a model employee. He was always on time. He was always in a good mood. He uh, made customers and co-workers feel comfortable around him. He was reliable, which was great for now back to today's story. So October 6, 1986, David was at work and a 22-year-old university student comes into his place of work, and her name's Mary, and she's trying to get some used tires. So David, he's being helpful and friendly. He's like, hey, you know, like, I could get you some used tires for cheap. The downside, though, they're at my house. So he's like, you know, if you're interested, give me a call. Here's my phone number, and you can come on over. Just get the tires from me. I'll cut you a deal. And this girl, Mary, she's like, oh, my God, wow. Like, that's really nice of you. Tires are expensive. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Later that day, Mary shows up to David and Catherine's home, knocks on the door, knock, knock, and both David and Catherine, like, answer the the door together, which I feel like is the first red flag. If people are answering the door together, what's that? Only one hand needs to be on the knob. Why are you both here? You know, it's a little intimidating. Anyway, so they answer the door, and instantly the couple pulls Mary inside of the house, and they're holding, like, a knife to her throat, okay? And they're like, get in the fucking house. So they pull her into the house and they get her into the bedroom, chain her to the bed, put stuff in her mouth so she can't scream. Just all of it happened extremely fast. And yeah, just awful. The only person in the room with like who could do anything or like make it all stop was Catherine because David was the one like being more of the aggressor, holding Mary down, chaining her up, being really gross. But Catherine, she was there like living. She was kind of like rooting David on. So as soon as Mary was dragged into the house, she was chained, she was gagged, David starts to rape her. And Catherine was like right there, right next to the bed, watching and rooting David on. Yeah, it was said that she was like petting him, like, oh my God, David, you're amazing. Yeah, David. And like caressing him. Yeah, Catherine just like watched and touched, like throughout the whole assault. Super creepy, super gross. I don't understand, but that's what she was doing. So once the couple was finished, David was like, you know what? We should probably get rid of this girl's car because it was outside of their place. And if someone reports her missing, you know, it's not going to look good. So David tells Catherine that he's going to take her car and like drop it somewhere. Now David ends up driving Mary's car into, into town. Get this because I was like, this is kind of smart in a terrible, awful way because he parks it, the car in the Perth police headquarters parking lot because he figured like that's the last place anyone would look for her car. And that kind of makes sense. And I was like, wow, I'll give him that. Most of these People are bozo heads. I mean, he still is, obviously. Anyways, yeah, so he left the car there. After dropping the car off, David and Catherine back at the house continue to assault Mary. Once again, that he was satisfied, uh, David tells Catherine, like, I want to kill her now. Like, I want to, let's do it. Let's kill her. He's getting all worked up and excited over it. God, get some fucking hobbies. David's telling Catherine, like, I want to kill her, but I don't want to do it in our house because it would cause, like, It would make a big mess. So we need to do it outside of the house. So the two of them decide to wrap Mary up in a blanket. 
They load her into their car, and then they drive her out to Glen Eagle State Forest, which was like 30 miles southwest of them. So I think that's like 50 kilometers for the Australians out there. You're welcome. I know. When they got there, they unload Mary, and David rapes her again, and then he stabs her to death. It's just like so brutal. The couple then, they decide to like dig a shallow grave and then they bury her. It's just disgusting. After this, like this was their first murder and they were stoked. They just have the adrenaline running through their their, their veins and they want to do it again. Well, after their first murder, all bets were off now. Anything, I mean, anything David wanted, he felt like he could get. And with Catherine by his side, he was like, oh, we are untouchable. So just two weeks later, the couple decide to do it again. Oh yeah. Their second victim was a 16 year old girl named Susanna. Susanna was working part-time and on this evening, she was actually walking home from work and she was hitchhiking. Now I know we all kind of like roll our eyes when we hear that someone's out hitchhiking. Like, what are you doing? You're hitchhiking. Like, are you psycho? But at, at this time it was normal. Everyone seemed to hitchhike. Not everyone, but like, you know, it, a lot of people hitchhike. It was just, it was a thing. Now, we're not as crazy about it, you know? Catherine and David were out cruising around that, that night and they see Susanna and they're like, oh, perfect. So they pull over and they offer her a ride because Catherine was in the passenger seat of the car. It was said that like it made their victims feel more safe because they were like, oh, at least there's another woman in the car. You know? So Susanna sees like, okay, guy's driving, but there's a girl, it should be good. It's probably safer than walking home. So Susanna agrees to catch a ride with them. And Catherine and David drove Susanna right to their place where they, once again, they chained her to the bed. They gagged her, similar to their previous victim. David assaulted, raped her while Catherine sat, watched, and like rooted him on. I just didn't understand that Catherine's role in all this, but he needed a cheerleader, I guess. This time was a little different because David wanted to keep Susanna just a little longer. While she was being held captive, the couple forced her to write letters to her parents. Oh yeah, saying that she was okay. So she would handwrite letters saying she had run off to Queensland with some friends and like, don't worry about me, I'm totally fine. And then the next day, they would force Susanna to make a phone call to her parents to tell them that she was okay and that she would keep them updated by writing the family letters. And while doing this, Catherine and David were holding a knife to her throat and like if telling her, if you try anything funky on this phone call, we are going to kill you, bleep, blah, bloop. So of course, like this poor Susanna goes along with it because she got a knife, you know, like, ah, I couldn't imagine, but Yes, they're making her write these letters and then the phone call. And then the reason they made her write these letters because over the next couple of weeks, David and Catherine, they actually sent the letters out that Susanna had written and it made it look like she was keeping the family updated over the, the coming weeks and buying them more time, I guess. So just all sorts of fucked. The couple would continue assaulting and raping Susanna uh, over the coming days, coming hours, and then they would force her to swallow a bunch of sleeping pills. So I guess at, at one point while they have poor Susanna, David turns to Catherine and is like, I want you to prove to me that you love me. And he hands her a rope 
And Catherine has no problem proving her love and devotion to David. She takes that rope and she strangles Susanna to death. Catherine wasn't just complicit. She was just full-blown devoted and obsessed with David. Like, it's bizarre. Once again, the couple would drive Susanna's body out to the park right by Mary's body, where they also dug a shallow grave and and buried her right right next to Mary. And I mean, at this point, 10 days had passed and the couple had now raped and murdered two women. Uh-oh. Like it's only gonna get worse here, you know? So David and Catherine both kind of put together or they worked out like some kind of system to find their next victims. Catherine would scope out potential targets for David and they would cruise around in their car, pick up hitchhikers, and like if Catherine wasn't vibing with them, they would let the person leave. They had no idea what bullet they dodged, you know? But if Catherine was really feeling the person, um, she was interested. The couple had made up like a code word amongst each other. So Catherine would lean close to David and say, quote, I've got the munchies, which was like, we're going to kill this bitch. I've got the munchies. Dude, people are so gross. And that's my conclusion. Well, on November 1st, 1986, the girl that gave Catherine the munchies her name was Noilene Patterson. So they spot Noilene standing outside her car on the side of the road. So they approach her, but this time was different. When they got closer to her, Dave and Catherine were like, hey, wait a minute, like, hey, we know you. Noilene was actually their neighbor. Yes. It was said that Noilene was actually relieved that like she saw them because her car had run out of gas and she really needed a ride. And it was just nice to see like a familiar face, you know? Noilene, she felt like she had no reason to distrust these two. I know, sad. So Noilene, she hops into the car and right away she was in the back seat with a knife to her throat. They didn't even wait like one second, okay? David ends up driving right back to their house and did the exact same awful stuff. Chained poor Noilene to the bed, gagged, raped, assaulted, just so sad. Now, Noilene was a little different. At 31, Noilene was like far more mature than their other targets and a very accomplished woman. David found Noilene like very attractive. She seemed to take care of herself. Like she uh, would dress in flattering clothing. She always had her fiery red hair done up just right. And David, he felt some type of way towards her. Like more than just, he wanted to wife her up is what I'm getting at. Now, Noeline actually noticed how David was acting around her and like he seemed into her. So she was like, I'm gonna lean into this. So she tried to flirt back with him, befriend David, acting like, you know, she's interested in him, make a little conversation with him. And she would find ways to like ease any concerns that he was having and tried to focus on building trust so that he would believe she was on his side and David would further like fall in love with her or something, you know? I mean, this is smart. Now, Catherine actually noticed that this was going on and she was getting pissed because that's her husband. She's like, excuse me? So Catherine is feeling some type of way. She's thinking that she's getting replaced by this Noeline girl. She's like, "Uh uh-uh, David's my man. Like Catherine's getting real jealous. 
real jealous. So after the couple had Noeline for several days, Catherine goes up to David with like an ultimatum. Well, first of all, Catherine grabs a knife and she holds it to Noeline's throat and then is like, tells David, look, it's her or it's me. Which one is it, David? Like, which one do you want? You have to pick. David would end up picking Catherine and the two gave Noeline like a bunch of sleeping pills and then Catherine decided to strangle Noeline and kill her herself because she was like jealous of her. (sighs) Can't with these people. Just can't. It's like you could do anything. As a human being, you could do whatever you want in the world and this is what you chose to do? Huh. Interesting choices. Choices were made. So the couple did the same thing. Once she was dead, they drove her out to to bury her with Mary and Susanna. But David felt like Noeline was a little different. Like she was kind of special to David. And she needed to be buried in like a different spot than the other women that they killed. So they went ahead and like buried her separate from the others. Like, okay, thanks, David. Wow, that's so considerate of you. That was really nice. Wow. So then in early November of 1986, they the couple, they continued their awful crimes, um, this time with a 21-year-old woman named Denise. And then a few days later, again, with a girl named Kate. And like the victims before, on November 9th, Kate was walking home alone when Catherine and David like pulled up and they offered her a ride. And then once again, just like, you know, sorry to be so redundant, but like, you know, it's just what they did. Chained, gagged, repeatedly raped, assaulted by David. But on that Sunday, David gave her a bunch of sleeping pills, this girl Kate. And he gives her a bunch of sleeping pills and knocks her out. But he failed to see that, or he failed to check to see if Kate was actually taking them. Because she wasn't. She was hiding the pills under her tongue. And then when he wasn't looking, she would spit them out and hide them under her bed. So this time, Kate actually spent a lot more time building a relationship with Catherine. So Catherine and Kate are like really hitting it off and they're becoming friends. Catherine likes Kate so much that she unchains her from the bed when David wasn't around. Wow. So Kate, you know, she has her hands free and what she does is she ends up like writing little notes when Catherine wasn't looking. She would write little notes and hide them around the room uh, just in case like if anything happened to her, hopefully someone would find them and like realize that Kate was there too, which is like so sad. The next day, it was like a Monday, and David had to go to work, so he leaves. And while he's out, Catherine lets Kate roam free around the house. So the two were just kind of like doing their thing. So a couple hours go by, and then there's a knock at the door. So Catherine turns to Kate and is like, you need to go to the room. Shut the hell up. Don't talk. Just listen to me. So Kate goes to the room, and while Catherine is talking to the person at the door, Kate, she finds an open window, and she crawls out. She makes a run for it. Go, Kate, go. She gets out of the house and she just starts running. Now, poor Kate, she's only wearing underwear, but she she didn't give a shit. She went running. Eventually, she makes it to the local grocery store where she started yelling, like asking people for help. So police were called and Kate was able to give them David and Catherine's address, uh, detailed descriptions as to like what they look like, and even told police about the notes that she had left around the house to prove that she 
was in there and she knows what the hell she's talking about. So Kate ended up breaking the case wide open for police who were noticing a pattern of like women missing, but like no, no one had leads, no one had anything. They didn't know what the fuck was going on. They're like, women are missing, but that's all they had so far. So thanks to Kate, oh man, who knows how many more victims they would have had if Kate, you know, I don't even want to think about that. Anyways, so that same day, police go to David and Catherine's house solo. Nobody's home. So the two, they let themselves into the house. Now, while inside the house, they see, you know, in the bedroom, there's chains around the bedpost. And also they find the notes that Kate left. So they go outside and they sit in their car until someone comes home. And it doesn't take long before Miss Catherine comes walking like right up to the house. So police approach her and arrest her. And Catherine is acting like she has no idea. What? You know, what's going on, you guys? I was just minding my own business, watering my flowers. You know, just not me. I know. I don't even know. Like, didn't she know as Kate was gone? Oh, she was probably looking for her. That's probably where she was. Makes sense now. Catherine and David were both brought down to the police station to be questioned, which lasted for hours upon hours. I guess Catherine was like Miss Stoneface. Like she's not gonna say anything. Mm-mm, I can't talk, sorry. I'm a mime. She wasn't saying anything. When they were doing questioning, they realized like, we're not getting anywhere with Catherine. So let's focus on David. When police were questioning David, at first it was pretty similar. They weren't getting anywhere, but I think he got bored or something because towards the end of the day, police were like, David, look, it's getting dark outside. Why don't you just like show us where the bodies are so we can dig them up and go home. And to their surprise, David was like, okay, there's four of them and they're on their way. So police then went back to Catherine and they were like, look, David already confessed everything, okay? And he's gonna take us to where the bodies are at. So you might as well tell us the truth Catherine, trying to bait Catherine into talking, you know? So Catherine asks to speak with David and she's told like, that's not gonna happen. So she's like, fine. And agrees to show police where Noeline's body is at because Catherine was the one who killed and buried. And I guess like even spat on her grave. She was proud of that. And that's what she told them. And she was like, I want credit. I want credit for that one. Can you write that down? Thank you. So... Okay, Catherine, like they say dream big in life and some people are just like, what the fuck are you doing? Their trial was over almost as quick as they were caught with the bodies of all of their victims, as well as both of their confessions, Catherine and David were both charged with four counts of murder, as well as two counts of aggravated assault, sexual assault and deprivation of liberty for what they had done to Kate. I didn't know what deprivation of liberty was, so naturally, Google. And deprivation of liberty is when a person has their freedom limited in some way. So like holding her captive. Oh, makes sense. So in February of 1987, both Catherine and David pled guilty to all charges. Neither of them showed any type of like remorse and they would go on to both receive life sentences as they deserve. Nasty. While they sat their ugly little asses in prison, Catherine and David would exchange around 2,600 letters between the two of them, 2,600. Catherine wanted for them to be married while in prison, but I guess that never happened. David complained that being apart from Catherine had sent him into a very deep depression. And 20 years after his sentencing in October of 2005, David had committed suicide. He was dead. Catherine, however, still alive, 
I don't know what she thought after hearing about David's death, but it makes honestly no difference. She ain't going anywhere. Catherine has like applied for parole three or four times, which has been denied every time. And currently Miss Catherine holds the record for the current longest serving prisoner at the Bandy Up Women's Maximum Security Prison. She served 30, 34 years. Way to go, Catherine. Achieving big things in life, doing big things. So today, Catherine's still in prison, and I guess she works as like the prison's librarian, and that's where she's gonna stay. Yep, just let her stay there. Goodbye. No more David, no more children, just no one. She needs to just be in the library in prison. David and Catherine are all the way up there on the super effed up list. They were disturbing people who did terrible things and who deserve nothing but terrible things in return. Well, David's dead, so yeah, terrible things in return. I think it's safe to say that they're like really high up there on the list of Australia's most hated. Yeah, they suck ass. This story is like, oh man, I feel like I couldn't really do it fully justice because of it's so graphic. It's so disturbing. These This couple, David and Catherine, were all the way fucked up, like, just, mm -mm. Anyways, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. But other than that, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You make good choices. Please be safe out there, please. And I'll be seeing you guys later. Goodbye.